Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dana Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC is finally back in the apex this weekend for Lewis versus Spivak. We will, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, as always, we're giving you the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is Parker Porter, who's going to be fighting down in Perth. He talks about his chance to get away and perhaps get some better sleep. We'll be getting into that in just a moment. And then later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Kyle the Monster Nelson, who fights Korean Superboy Doho Choi this upcoming weekend. He talks about getting to fight somebody with a little bit of hype behind him and missing out on the chance to fight in Korea. But before we get to any of that great content for you, we do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Picket app. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all your sports books in one nice, neat little spot, helping you stay on top of the ways that you are most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether that be showing off your big score to some of your friends or trying to gain a following in the sports betting community. Picket has you covered. New veteran and experienced bettors have all joined the Picket community. So what are you waiting for? Download the Picket app on the Google Play Store or the App Store today and get in on the fun. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Parker Porter, who fights Justin Taffa at UFC 284. That fight is on February 11th in Perth. So, Parker, before we get to talking about that fight, I obviously want to get your take on the current state of the heavyweight division, because it's a weird one right now. Francis Ngannou, the champion, has vacated his throne. We got, you know, John Jones, a guy I know you're familiar with, fighting Surreal Gain in the, for the title. What do you sort of think of all this hullabaloo? Uh, I... I think it's a it's a lot of commotion, man. There's a lot of crazy, exciting things happening right now. You know, like the fact that uh, Francis couldn't come to terms and they stripped him of the belt. You know, that's that's interesting. Him being a free agent, you know, I, I wonder. I'm curious to see what he plans to do. If they're gonna, if he's gonna try and come back to the UFC, if he's gonna go to another promotion. Uh, I'm excited to see. Jones make his uh, his heavyweight debut. I'm especially excited to see him make that against uh, Cyril because I think that he's uh, probably the toughest competition that John's going to face out of uh, just about everybody in the, uh, the heavyweight division. And it's really uh, it's really an intriguing you know situation because like there's throwing Jones into the mix, having Francis be out of the mix. It, it kind of sets the stage uh, for for. Jones, depending on his performance against Gon, to be equally as dominant at heavyweight as he was at light heavyweight. And, uh, you know, like it's, you know, he's by many, including myself, considered the greatest to ever do what we do. Um, and, you know, the guy really, even with the, the, the one loss on his record, he didn't really lose that fight. It was a DQ. He's, the guy's really essentially never lost. So I'm, uh, I'm really, really interested to see how that goes. 
And obviously, I got to ask you too, being that, you know, almost 15 years ago now, you, you did get the chance to share the, the cage with John Jones, which, you know, some people may have forgotten because it was, you know, it was when I was in high school, for Christ's sakes, uh, back in Wilmington, Massachusetts. So is it is it kind of fun that it's come full circle that you're now, you know, like sort of looking up at a guy you fought a decade and a half ago? Yeah, it's it's very surreal in that sense, you know, like to see that we both kind of essentially started our careers at the same time and how much he was able to accomplish in, in, in such a short amount of time and, and for what seemed to be relatively effortless to him, you know, versus like the essentially struggle that I had to go through with, you know, clawing my way to, to getting into the UFC, never mind to, to sitting at the top and, and having, uh, you know, uh, dominant reign if you will um you know it's really i'm excited for it man genuinely like there was a a period of time early on after the loss to him he he, he was the first one that i ever lost to um you know where i was like i'm gonna get that back i'm gonna get that back and then as he started to get further ahead further ahead i was like i don't think i'm ever gonna get that one back (laughs) you know i don't think anybody's gonna get any of those back um but I, I've grown to really just appreciate and admire everything that he's he's done in the octagon. I like that. I like that mentality. Now let, let's get to talking about your upcoming fights because obviously we're excited about those too. This is an interesting opportunity for you because you know if you look at record, like I said, Wilmington, Massachusetts, Connecticut, you know, northeastern places, then a little bit of Vegas sprinkled in there too, but. Nowhere like Perth. Nowhere like Perth, Australia. So what does it feel like to be traveling halfway across the world for a fight? I, you know, it's it's exciting, and it also brings a little bit of, like, and you know, not so much anxiety, but, like, uh, anxiousness, I guess, you know, you would say to, you know, like, what do I, what are we going to, not knowing what to expect. I, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know what the accommodations are going to be like, what kind of facility or training area we're going to have or like where we're going to be staying. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm, I'm most of all looking forward to being in front of a crowd again, because every single one of my fights has been at the apex center for the UFC. Um, and the first couple, there were no spectators whatsoever. And then even when they started to allow spectators in the last few, um, it's it, there's like maybe a hundred people there. So it's not much of a crowd. Yeah, absolutely. And now I got to ask though, because you're saying you're pumped for this crowd, you're going into hostile territory, right? Like this isn't going to be the friendly crowd pumping you up. Do, do you dig that too? Do you dig the, the hostility? Yeah, I don't mind it. You know, like uh, you gotta, you gotta be ready for some hostilities no matter what in this sport. It's not going to be the first time that, I've been, I've not been the hometown favorite, you know, going into somebody else's backyard, so to speak. This is going to be on a, a little bit of a different level, but I've always managed to be able to feed off of that energy of the crowd, whether they're booing or cheering. So, you know, it just kind of, one of the things that I think just about every fighter that's, that's worth their weight it can do is, is, is take positive energy and keep it positive or take negative energy and make it positive for themselves. I love that. I love that. Now, let, let's talk a little bit. I, I want to go back to what you said about the uncertainty, about traveling to a place where you don't know the accommodations, you don't know the training situation, you don't know how you're gonna, long you're going to sit in an airport and things like that. You, you're, you're well into your career at this point. Like I said, over a decade and a half in, in the game, 
is it refreshing to have like a moment where this is brand new to you at, at this stage of the game or is it like this is a, a hurdle I, I wasn't expecting to have to jump over yeah no it's it is refreshing it kind of breathes new new life into it for me you know it's like it's not the same old routine you know like learning to be uncomfortable is the best you know is, is the only way to grow or make change or progress um so this is a the first time that you know in the last three fights i would say that i've i'm i'm not going to be comfortable or super familiar or know exactly what to expect so you know it kind of heightens the excitement for me awesome and are you doing anything in particular to like get yourself ready for that are you 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 know starting training camp super late at night are you are you doing anything to, to sort of prepare yourself for that journey no, I mean, like, I don't really sleep great as it is right now, having a, a two-year-old son. Um, God, God bless my wife for getting up with her as much as she does, but even when she gets up with him, it still obviously wakes me up. So, um, you know, like, I'm kind of used to right now being, you know, somebody who operates on not the best sleep. So I think that actually getting there, regardless of the time difference, I, I should be able to adjust pretty well because I'll actually be able to – get into deep sleep and catch up on that that little bit of relaxation if you will i got a two-year-old i can definitely commiserate i know exactly the feeling (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about justin toffa too because you know like we said you're going into hostile territory but this is a guy who is a little bit of a known commodity when you talk about what he is in the cage right he's a guy who people know wants to go in there he wants to mix it up with his hands he wants to get bloody are you expecting that kind of fight out of him? Because I know, you know, you've said in the past, people sleep on your grappling uh, without giving too much away. Are, are we going to see a little more of that too? No, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just fighting, man. Like, I feel like it's, it's been a long time since my last fight. I haven't fought since last May. Um, so it's been almost a year and I'm just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting in there and, and mixing it up and, and, just having a good old fashioned fight, man. Like really just letting, letting both dogs off the leash and seeing what happens. I love it. Now you mentioned it, it has been a while since you fought, right? It's been since last May and, and that's going to be, you know, nine months just about by the time you get into the cage. Was that by design? Were you, were you looking for a little bit more time off after your last fight? No, I was looking to, I, I wanted a little bit of time off to work on a couple of things. And then like with the summer vacation for the kids and being able to actually enjoy myself and whatnot. But um, no, I was originally trying to, we had a, a fight lined up for the Abu Dhabi card in October um, in 2022. Um, and unfortunately that fight fell through. Then they found a replacement fight for me. And, and then that one fell through like three, four days after they made it. So at that point, they just had everything booked up so much that they're like, you know, this is the soonest we can get you on a card. Well, you're certainly going to make up for all that anticipation. So give me a prediction. What's it going to look like on February 11th at the end of the fight? I wouldn't expect this fight to go the distance. Ah, uh, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Parker Porter, who fights Justin Tatha at UFC 284. That fight, once again, is in Perth, Australia on February 11th. Parker, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. I always love talking to you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Parker Porter. I want to get him, Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, uh, let's start here. There's lots of things going on in the MMA world, despite the fact that we didn't have fights in the UFC last weekend. The biggest news, the biggest news of them all, 
could possibly be that all signs are pointing to an ultimate fighter season coached by Conor McGregor. Now, I know you're off the ultimate fighter model. You no longer really care about it. But tell me, Conor McGregor coaching it sweeten the pot a little bit for you? Yeah, it definitely does. And I'll, I'll watch the heck out of it. I mean, it's Connor. He's entertaining. Uh, and, you know, I, that's a great move for the show. Um, who now is the rumor being that he would coach against, who was it? Jorge? Tony? Who's he coaching so, against? So, so Jorge was originally one of the rumors, although that seems to be mostly dispelled now that Jorge Masvidal is fighting Gilbert Burns. So I think that one's out the window. The two prevalent rumors out there are, Tony Ferguson, who said he was, you know, he's come out on his his social media and said, I've been offered this. So he's clearly in the running. We've also seen some kind of cryptic tweets from uh, Michael Chandler. Like he just posted like, you know, like the big eyes emoji the minute that Connor announced that. So like, you know, both Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson seem to be front runners. But I also wouldn't be terribly surprised if, um, you know, Dustin Poirier, who right now is not scheduled for a fight. And in fact, Benil Dariush is going to be the one fighting Charles Oliveira. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he is in the running just a little bit quieter than the other two. So th- those are my three theories. Yeah, I mean, I have zero interest in seeing Tony Ferguson get that fight or be a coach on the ultimate fighter right now. <laughs> so yeah, Chandler's interesting. Poirier, certainly at this point, it's such a rivalry between him and Connor. That would be very good. But what I would really advise the UFC to do is with all the eyeballs that hopefully this would bring to the ultimate fighter, the once vaunted and great ultimate fighter that I think a lot of people loved at a certain time. Think about changing the format this time, bros, something new. Let's get it into the 2020s because it's not 2005 anymore. There's got to be something. And, you know, they don't pay me enough. They don't pay me anything to think about that. But I would just like to see a new format. And when Connor's coaching, that would be the time to do it, in my opinion. I'm going to so I'm going to go against you on a couple of these things. First of all, I actually kind of hope it's Tony Ferguson. Um, and, And just hear me out on this one. A lot of people are saying, you know, I don't want to see the, the Tony Ferguson mercy killing here because Tony Ferguson is on a brutal run. Like, if if Tony Ferguson can't beat Conor McGregor off of, like, a 17-year layoff or whatever the hell he's on and a, a gruesome injury, then Tony Ferguson's all done, right? Like, because Conor McGregor is has not won much more recently, if more recently, than Tony Ferguson at all. That actually might be the perfect matchup to see which of them is still, like, at least fragmentally relevant in the division. Um, Because I I mean, Tony won round one against Michael Chandler and yeah, like he lost to Michael Chandler, but I I, kind of feel like the other two picks here, you know, like Poirier or Chandler, I think they're just kind of like over what Connor's head is at this point, you know, with the long layoff and the injuries and the lack of wins. Like I I just sort of think those two would beat Connor kind of easily. I think, Tony Ferguson might be the more even matchup. Plus, I think he's must-see TV every time he's on. I think he's ridiculous. Um, And then the other thing I'm going to go against you on, the only time they ever tried to revamp the format, and and maybe maybe they could do it a good way. You know, you're you're totally right. Maybe, Maybe it is time for something fresh. But the only time they tried to revamp the format was the the team season. And it was... It was fucking awful, dude. And not that, you know, not that I'm sitting here praising the Ultimate Fighter as this, like, wonderful format that we can't possibly touch. But, like, the last time they did it, dude, it was one of the worst seasons out there. 
and it gave us Kamara Usman. Like, it gave us Kamara Usman, and it was still unwatchable. Like, what does that tell you about changing up the well, format? So, th- But, you know, I yeah, and that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I, I'm not saying it should be the same setup, but with, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying a format change just teams. I'm saying an entire show change. And, again, I they don't pay me. So I'm not going to be the one to like come up with this for them. But the idea of putting people in a house with no cell phones and get them drunk, which I know they don't really (laughs) highlight as much anymore. Um, You know, like what I thought was an innovative approach. I like how they had them film their own. I love that. Yeah. A day in the life of these fighters before entering the house. So I now again, I don't work for the UFC, but is there a way? I don't know. Like, could we do an Ultimate Fighter series where these guys are just training at their home gyms and flying in for their fights? I just think the the concept of the living in the house, 2005 reality TV show boom, is super boring at this point and there's just there's got to be something better i don't know what that is yeah Um, i i I agree with you on a on an mma fans level like obviously we're diehard fans we've been doing a podcast for almost seven years at this point never mind how long we've been actual mma fans but any mma fan who's been around even just for as long as our podcast has is done with that format right is done with them being locked in the house but you have to remember those people who love MMA are going to watch anyway. They're pulling, they're pulling my wife in. That that's who they're pulling in with the house shit, right? They're, that's who they're the the casual fan who kind of likes MMA and needs a little of that drama. And so I don't know that that's ever going to go away. If it goes away, it just becomes contender series. Which by the way, just sign me up for more contender series if you want. I love contender series, but like, I I think it just becomes that if you don't have if you don't have the house. I see. Yes, that I maybe, but there could be a new format that could still draw in the casual. I, again, I don't know what it is. If Dana White wants to send me a paycheck to think about it, I'll do it. <laughs> but there has to be a new way because a lot of reality TV, and I'm not really familiar with like what the big reality TV is today. But a lot of reality TV, I think, is, is like network reality TV that set the stage for that. Because The Ultimate Fighter was just biting off of the success of Survivor and Big Brother at the time. So even like the modern big network reality TV is, has somewhat moved on from it, I think. There's just got to be a different concept. It'll still draw on the casual. I don't know what it is, though, because the thing is, it's not really working. I mean... They had to take the Ultimate Fighter off cable. I think it was like around Ultimate Fighter 16, 17, 18. Those were some of the lowest rated Ultimate Fighters of all time. And then obviously they moved to ESPN Plus, so it's impossible to figure out like what ESPN Plus is seeing for views on it. But I don't think it's great. I mean, I think the brand has taken a massive hit over the last 10 years. Um, the brand, the Ultimate Fighter, that is. Yeah, I, I think so. it's I think it's taking a big hit too, and you're right. It, some sort of refreshing... But while keeping they they gotta find a way to keep the the casual person who likes the drama. You gotta find a way to somehow keep the drama. But like also, I, I think maybe just more fights would probably do better. Like double the <laughs> yeah. double the amount of people in the house and give me two fights per episode, and I'd be more well, hooked than normal. 
You know, the other thing, too, is initially there was something, you know, I always find it funny when I go back to the Ultimate Fighter 1, which I love, by the way. And, you know, it's like, hey, if you win this, you get the guaranteed contract. These are, you know, and they sort of tried to make it out like these guys were up and coming or like, you know, they were kind of wannabes. Like most of those guys were actually very highly ranked at the time. The pool of MMA talent in the year 2005 was minuscule. Um, but that all being said, you know, now it's like, if you don't win the ultimate fighter, you know, there's so many other ways into the UFC. I feel like the stakes have been lower and lower every ultimate fighter season. And then you also have Dana White's contender series, which is like, if I'm an up and coming fighter, I would rather do contender series. Cause I don't have to go away to a house for six weeks and I still get in the UFC. Yeah. And, and, the, and not- the percentage of getting in from the contender series is way higher. Uh, because because the guys in the ultimate fighter now it it is like win be a runner-up or be like one of the two lucky people because you're right in that that those middle seasons the the stakes were so low because it didn't matter if you won the season or if you lost your first fight in those middle seasons like 10 11 12 all those guys got fights anyway right mitrione did not go deep into the season that dude got a fight anyway right and matt brown didn't win his season he got a fight anyway like that middle area there, the, the 7 through 14 maybe, everybody got a fight. Now we're getting to the point where it's only like a couple get a fight and some of them don't get a second chance. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I would entirely rather be on Contender Series if I'm a prospect. So there, so let's just button it up with this. Even if they somehow found – let's say they don't change the format of the house, find a way to make the stakes higher and more worthwhile i don't know that's all i'm saying yeah i I agree higher stakes in some way shape or form well i'll tell you what i'm excited about it's uh ufc vegas 68 it's this weekend we're going to do our favorite segment on the show fights dogs and parlays breaking down a couple of fights a couple of live dogs we like and a couple of parlays to play So let's do that, Gumby. Let's do fights, dogs, and parlays for UFC Vegas 68. But before we do, I'm wondering if anyone sponsors this edition of fights, dogs, and parlays. Absolutely. Fights, dogs, and parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's time that you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a big share of the cash prizes in the weekly blackjack tournaments, sign up at MyBookie and use promo code TOPTURTLE for a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Once again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus designed for betters looking to get that cash in and out quickly. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. My bookie, my bookie, my bookie. We love my bookie. All right. Uh, main event, always interesting when Derek Lewis is fighting. He's a <laughs> plus 190 dog to Sergey Spivak, a minus 225 favorite. Lewis won in three in his last four. He lost to Cyril Gain back in August of 2021, came back and KO'd Chris Dawkins, but then lost to Taitu Ivasa and Sergey Pavlovich. Um, the Pavlovich loss was back in July of 2022. And now here he is fighting Sergey Spivak on a two-fight win streak. TKOs over Augusta Sakai and Greg Hardy. He lost to Tom Aspinall before that. Had a three-fight win streak before that. So he's actually five and one in his last six. Um, things are looking up for Sergey Spivak. Things 
have actually never looked this down for Derek Lewis. He had never, oh, he actually did drop two in a row, albeit to Daniel Cormier in his title uh, challenge that we all know didn't go well. And I forgot that he actually lost to Junior Dos Santos right after that. So this is just his second two-fight losing streak in the UFC, but older now, still always dangerous. He's the dog here. Who you got? I'm, I think we broke this one down back in November, I think, when they were originally booked. And, and I love Derek Lewis in this matchup. I can't believe he is betting off at damn near a 2-1 to one favorite. And if you want him by knockout, I'm seeing that at like plus 260, even juicier there. The thing about Spivak is you're right. He's on a good run. He's 5-1. and one. But let's look at that five-fight winning streak. Augusto Sakai, Greg Hardy, Alexi Olenek, Jared Vandera, Carlos Felipe. And the win over Olenek is a decision. The win over Carlos Felipe was a majority decision. One person had that as a draw. This is not a murderer's row of winners, right? Like, this is not an amazing six-fight streak. The one, like, real tough fight he had in there was Tom Aspinall, who blasted him in the first round. It's not that I don't believe in Sergei Spivak. It's just that... He's a heavyweight who doesn't have the best striking defense, as we learned in that Tom Aspinall fight. And against a guy like Derek Lewis, that's a big problem. Now, he has been able to kind of out-cardio and out-wrestle his way. You know, he, he wore Greg Hardy down, granted only in half of a round. He wore Augusto Sakai down. He wore Alexio Linick down because he actually lost round one against Alexio Linick. He had to win rounds two and three, and he did so by wearing him down and beating him up. I don't think that he can do that against Greg Hardy. I don't think he survives the early onslaughts of Greg Hardy, or not Greg Hardy, uh, Derek Lewis. I don't think he can survive those early Derek Lewis onslaughts. I'm going to say I think Derek Lewis just puts him away in the first with a big right hand. I like it, yeah. Tough to pick against Derek Lewis. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, he surprised me so many times, and let's just say I've been burned betting against him. Um uh, Dun Jung, a minus 240 favorite. Devin Clark, a plus 200 dog. Uh, Clark is coming off a loss. Uh, he's actually one and three in his last four. So he'd like to get that uh, pointed in the right direction. But going up against the South Korean fighter, going to be a bit tough. Uh, Jung, however, also coming off a loss to Dustin Jacoby. Uh, he is... In his UFC career, he is 4-1-1, one, and one, and a massive favorite here. Who you got? I'm going to go with Dylan Jung. I, I do really think that, that Devin Clark has done a good move changing fight camps. He was training at Jackson Winklejohn. He moved up to elevation in Colorado, and I thought it was going to be you know, sort of a big move for him. And, and I do think it helped him a little bit. It obviously helped him at the very beginning of that William Knight fight, but... The Merzakhanov fight really, you know, I've kind of waned on my hopes for here for for him because the big thing is, is he's getting out punched still. Um, and I've seen holes in his wrestling defense as of late. Uh, you know, like the the takedown to William Knight's not a good sign. He basically got ragdolled by Ian Kudalaba. Even Anthony Smith took him down and submitted him. So like. I'm a little bit worried about that because Daun Jung's got that ace in the hole. I think people forget Daun Jung excellent grappler when he chooses to use it and then the other thing is Dao Jung is powerful Dao Jung hits like a truck and as we saw in that last fight with Devin Clark you know the chin is taking a beating he's been in some wars and now it's starting to add up so yeah I, I like Dao Jung in this one I, I think he's gonna have an, an easier time here 
Uh, Marcin Tibera, a minus 135 favorite to Blagoj Ivanov, a plus 115 dog. Uh, Ivanov is coming off a win over uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. He had lost two in a row before that. So one and two in his last three. And actually, if I peel it back even further, he is three and two in his last five with wins over Tai Tuivasa and Ben Rothwell. So nothing to sneeze at there. Marcin Tybura coming off a win over Alexander Romanov, lost to Alexander Volkov before that, wins over Walt Harris and Greg Hardy before that. He actually, in his UFC career, Gumby, uh, Tybura at this point is, hmm, he is 10 and 6. So, you know, a little above 500 um, and really been... You know, Marcin Tybura, this one sneaks up on you. Marcin Tybura has been doing the damn thing in the UFC since uh, 2016. So we're creeping up on six, seven years of Marcin Tybura. Again, he's the slight favorite here. Who you got? I'm actually surprised he's kind of only the slight favorite, especially after that win against Alexander Romanov. Romanov is a guy... I think a lot of people have pegged as, like, one of the future guys of the division. And, and Tybura went in there and handed him his first ever loss and a damn good prospect loss in that. And the thing about this fight, too, when you, you look at the matchup, Ivanov does have, like, that judo background. But, like, I, I don't really worry about him getting Tybura down. Like, Tybura is going to be, I'm pretty sure, the bigger and stronger opponent. He's going to be four inches taller. He's going to have a five-inch reach advantage. And, yeah, he might not get... Ivanov down all the time or he might not take him down at will but I do think he's just going to like press him against the cage and wear him out I also think if he does get him down I think Ivanov is going to have a tough time getting out from underneath Marcin Tybura most people do you know we saw Walt Harris have a tough time with it we saw Greg Hardy get exhausted doing it we saw Ben Rothwell have a tough time doing it or you know Maxim Grishin or whoever you want to talk about heck he did it to Sergei Spivak who's in the main event this weekend instead so yeah, I think Tybura is, is kind of being underrated here at only negative 135. So, yeah, give me Tybura all day here. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, let's get to our underdog of the week. It's Sung Guk Choi, a plus 165 over Hunan Sung Park. Break it down. Yeah, I like Sung Guk Choi here as a slight underdog. That's going to be one of the finals uh, for the Road to the UFC, which will be on this one. There you go. There's a new format that's not the Ultimate Fighter. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Road to the UFC finals. I like Choi here just a little bit because I, I think he's going to be a little bit craftier in the cage in terms of you know the way he pursues some, some takedowns, a little bit about how he's faster. Um, I, I think he's a little bit more polished on the feet, maybe a little bit less power, but uh, plus 165, I think, is an absolute steal on Choi. Uh, our parlay to play, Marcin Tybura, minus 135, Yusuke Kinoshita, minus 280. Pair them together, get you plus 135. Let's hear it. Yeah, so as I said before, Marcin Tybura, one of the most underrated values on this card at negative 135, and that number's actually gotten a little bit lower. It's like getting closer to even money, so maybe even wait a little bit on that. But I like pairing it with Yasaku Kinoshita, who I think is probably a sure thing in this fight. He's fighting Adam Fugit, who I like Adam Fugit, but man, they just keep giving this poor Adam Fugit, like, 22-year-old prospects who hit like trucks. First it was Michael Morales, now it's Kinoshita. Kinoshita looked like an absolute killer on the ultimate or on the uh the contender series rather. You know, he went in there, put it on a guy for two rounds, hit that KO late. 
I think he's rightfully negative 280, but I think he could be even higher. He could be like a negative 400 guy like we're seeing, you know, Tetsuya Tyra is negative 1,000 on this fight card. But, you know, I'll take Kinoshita as the one who's a little bit lower, a little bit more reasonable. Pair that with Tybura, plus 135. All right. Well, that does it for Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if we did you right or did you dirty with some of these picks. At Top Turtle MMA on the social media Gumby, we're having fun here. Let's keep the party moving. What should we do next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Kyle the Monster Nelson, who is fighting the Korean Superboy, Doohoo Choi, coming off of a three-year layoff. He talks about what it's like to prepare for somebody who has not been in the cage for that long, and also the excitement of getting to fight somebody with such hype behind him. But before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jujitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Kyle Nelson. All right, and joining me today is Kyle the Monster Nelson, who fights Doho Choi at UFC Vegas 68. That fight is on February 4th. So, Kyle, I, I want to start by talking about the fact that this fight is obviously originally supposed to be in Korea. It was rumored to be in Korea. The UFC hit, I, I don't know, some kind of snafu, and we wind up back in Vegas. What are sort of your thoughts on it not being halfway around the world and instead being, you know, not that far away? Yeah, I definitely think as far as, as the fight goes and performance, uh, this works better in my favor. There'll definitely be a lot less traveling, a lot less time zone differences. So, yeah, I think as far as fight, that's worked out best for me. But I was definitely excited to go to South Korea and fight in front of, you know, a full arena um, and put on a, a show there. And then, you know, take a couple of days after with my fiance and do some touristy kind of stuff in South Korea. So, Sucks that we can't do that, but uh, I definitely think we're still going to be able to put on a good fight in Vegas. And I know you fought internationally a lot in your career, right? Like you fought in Mexico City, you fought in England, and that's just in the UFC. Before that, you know, you were fighting in Romania and places like that. Do, do you enjoy the, the traveling part of fighting, or is, like you said, kind of the, the fight aspect of it a little bit extra miserable? I'm definitely starting to enjoy it more. When I was younger, I didn't really have any desire to uh, to travel or anything like that. But, uh, you know, definitely traveling to Romania kind of opened my eyes to to traveling in general. And that's when I kind of got the bug and, and started really enjoying uh, traveling to new countries and new places. And, uh, yeah, if I'm able to do that through fighting, you know, it's, it's definitely makes it a little bit easier on the coin purse. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying uh, – the, the extra traveling that I get to do through the UFC and my career. And, and in a lot of those instances, I, I got to ask, because you, you're going into enemy territory in almost all of them, right? Like, you went in and you knocked out Polo Reyes in Mexico City. You fought Jai Herbert in London. You know, some of those fights in Romania against, you know, Eastern European guys. What is it like for you to continuously be, you know, the hostile territory guy, the guy, you know, outside of his home country? Yeah, I mean, I've always been the away guy, even when I was fighting in Canada. You know, I was from a very small town in Canada, so I'd be going to, like, big cities like Toronto, and I'd be fighting people from Toronto. So, you know, I'm, I'm very rarely ever the, the hometown guy. Uh, you know, my UFC 
uh, debut on uh, three days' notice. I fought uh, uh, Diego Ferreira in Toronto. So in that instance, I got to be, you know, kind of the hometown guy. But otherwise, it's usually me going into enemy territory and, uh, you know, listening to the booze and all that. But uh, for the most part, it hasn't, it hasn't really affected. It doesn't affect me at all. I still fight the same. Uh, now, does it affect, you know, the judges in England maybe a little bit? It's hard to say. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I don't mind it. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that, too, because, you know, there, there is that part of it that's a mental aspect for you. And if that has never come into play, that's good news. But, yeah, the, lots of has been said about judges recently, and especially judges when you're going into a foreign country. What What is sort of your take on, you know, the whole judges controversy and what we've been going on with in, in MMA here? Yeah, it definitely seems to have hit a new level. And that's very concerning. Um, but again, I don't, I don't really have a clear way out of it other than, you know, maybe some more education for judges and then maybe being a little more stringent on who we allow to be judges. I think it should be, you know, people that are, you know, very involved in the sport and have trained and stuff like that. So they have a better understanding of, you know, whether certain, uh, grappling techniques are, are working or not, or, you know, whether certain strikes are really landing or if they're just looks like they're close to landing. I think those are, those play big factors in the fight. Whereas some people that aren't super knowledgeable in the sport, they may see it and think it looks like it's leaning one way when in reality it's uh, the complete opposite. And yeah, we've got a lot of those uh, decisions lately where, it seems obvious to the majority of people that the wrong guy won the decision. So, I mean, hopefully we can, can find a way to, to fix this soon. Totally agree. And I, I like the thought about more education. So enough about that. Let, let's start talking about your fight with Duho Choi here because it's an exciting one. You know, not just because, you know, you're getting back in there, you're getting back in with a guy who throws down, but you know, a lot of people have hype behind Duho Choi. That fight with Cub Swanson, that, you know, he hasn't fought in three years, but that, that hype sticks with him. Were you excited when that's the name that they offered you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, you know, really the only reason I took the fight at 145. I had moved up to 155. I was comfortable there, happy there. Um, and they came with Duho Choi, and I was like, you know, this is, this is a fight I really want. He's got a great name. He's had a great career so far. Exciting guy, stand-up guy. Uh, so I love the fight. Uh, so I went back to UFC. I was like, hey, can we, you know, maybe bump this up to 155 or 150? And they're like, no, if you want this fight, it's going to be going to have to be at 145. So that's when I, you know, I decided to go back down to 145 for this one. But uh, this has been the most notice I've had for a 145-pound fight. So this training camp has been, you know, head and shoulders above any other training camp at 145, the way I've been able to prepare and gradually lose the weight. So this definitely my, you know, my best performance yet. And I think Doho Choi is going to be the guy, uh, you know, to come in there and stand with me and, you know, give me the opportunity to put on the fight of the night. Well, I was going to ask you about that too. You know, it it's sort of weird trying to figure out what Doho Choi is going to do, right? Because he did do – a little bit of different stuff in his career, you're, but you're right. He mostly likes to stand in front of people and bang. 
but he's also been gone three plus years at this point in time. Is it weird fighting a guy who you know who's been out of the cage that long? Um, not really. I mean, there's some people talk about ring rust and stuff. I think ring rust is real to a degree, but I feel like a guy like Doho, I mean, he's such a warrior. Uh, he's going to come forward. I don't think we're going to see a lot of ring rust from him. Now, has he spent this last three years kind of sharpening his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu, and is he going to come out and be a completely different fighter? I really don't think so. I think he's going to stick to his roots. Even if he did improve his, his jiu-jitsu and wrestling, I don't think it's three years is enough time for him to catch up to my level of wrestling and jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, if he wants to try and turn it into a you know wrestling or grappling fight, I think he's just going to make it harder on himself. I think his, his best bet is to stay in a trade with me. And uh, I think that's going to be the most exciting for the fans. And I think that's going to be the biggest opportunity to uh, showcase some of my skills. Absolutely. Now, let, let's talk about when you're going to showcase some of your skills. Because I've seen some rumored bout orders for this. It hasn't been made official yet. But the last one I saw has you listed as the co-main event. H- had you already heard that before I just told you now? And, and if so, or even if not... What's sort of your take on being the co-main event to a UFC fight card? Yeah, I mean, it's about time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, There's been so much shuffling with, you know, going from South Korea to Vegas to, you know, even the the time of the event kind of dancing around a bit where it'll be kind of 10 p.m., starting 10 p.m. in Vegas, so the main car won't be till 1 a.m., so... I, you know, I'm going to take it all with a grain of salt until I'm, I'm there and, and get kind of an official kind of layout from the UFC. But uh, they'll be planning, like, gearing this training camp towards fighting later in the night or early in the morning. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I'd love to be the, the co-main event and, you know, have the most eyes on me as possible because I think this is going to be, you know, a fight worthy of, of the main or the co-main event slot. Absolutely. Now, I usually like to get a prediction before I let fighters go, but before I get to there, I'm also a big fan of fighter nicknames. I love hearing the story about where fighters got their nicknames. So, do you mind sharing with us where you got the nickname, The Monster, how how you became The Monster? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just coming from a small town, I had to travel so much for training. So, I would travel to new gyms all the time and, and train with new guys and it was just always something that kind of came up at the end of training. I'd go through a hard training session. We'd all be sitting down kind of, you know, resting and, and you know, kind of chatting and stuff. And it, it kind of, it was the same thing. It always came up like, man, you know, you're a monster. You know, you walk in here, you're quiet, you're subtle, you're nice. And then we got training and, and you're just a monster. Your strength, your tenacity, your aggression, just, just so monstrous. So, you know, I'd hear it one place, and then I heard it again at a different gym, and then another gym, and then all of a sudden, you know, they just started calling me the monster, and um, and it felt like it stuck. I think it's a nice, um, a nice definition of of when I'm fighting in the cage, um, you know, versus kind of Kyle Nelson, the guy outside the cage. It's almost like a, a Jekyll and Hyde, where you know I'm I'm super calm, nice, approachable um, outside the cage, but you know, once the door shuts and and, you know, the lights are on and the, it's time to fight. Uh, you know, I can definitely turn on that monster in me. And, and that's what's helped me get to this point in my career. 
All right, well then let's talk about what happens when that monster gets turned on on February 4th. What's your prediction? How's this one end? I definitely see uh, Doho, you know, coming forward, you know, using his, his kickboxing style. And I think he's just going to kind of run into a power that he hasn't seen before. I mean, he's, he's fought guys like Jeremy Stevens who have some power and stuff like that. But nobody that's been, you know, as big as I am or as explosive and as strong as I am. So I think he's going to come forward. He's going to run into that. And I think we're probably going to see, a, you know, a short night for Doho um, with a, a first-round knockout. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Kyle Nelson, who fights Doho Choi at UFC Vegas 68. That fight, once again, is on February 4th. Kyle, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turn on the May Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Picket, and MyBookie. And as a reminder, you guys can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Tur- Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.